0: Now, welcome to another inspiring edition of Sound Insight with Dr. Tom Curran.
1: Good morning. Welcome to the show. This is a program designed to help you grow in faith, appreciate the beauty, love the truth, and live the goodness of our Catholic faith. Today I'm joined by Father. Father, how are you doing today?
0: Good. Thank you very much. Pleasure so, here.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, Father Lewis, it's, um, we're without Father Nagel. I know. It's a Monday program, but we will make it, we will get through. So, Father, I've got uh, this is a ping Father with questions program, which you love. Uh You you love this. You do a great job with these very uh, conversational uh, types of questions. We're going to be talking about Lent coming up, as well as many other things today on the program. Hi, this is Dr. Tom Curran, and you know me as the host of Sound Insight. I am also letting folks know that as a realtor licensed in the state of Washington and in Idaho, Welcome back to the program. We're going to begin with a scripture reading and a prayer led by Father Jeff Lewis.
0: Our scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. I urge you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God, your spiritual worship. Do not conform yourselves to this age, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, so that you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and pleasing and perfect. Good and gracious God, we ask you also in the words of St. Paul to help us be renewed and transformed in our minds, always that we may with clarity of vision and clarity of heart to be uh, to be mindful of you, to keep our sights on you alone and the good promises and the good things that you have in store for us. All this we ask through Christ, our Lord. Amen. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.
1: Amen. Thank you so much, Father. So, uh, this morning, we were recording this on a Thursday and uh, I was at mass this morning and the, the gospel reading, I found there were a couple of things pretty striking about that reading that I want to discuss with you when I'm going to bring it up, op- break it open. So the first was in the gospel, Jesus is sending out the apostles right now they're It's their turn, Right they've, they've been accompanying Jesus. They have been apprenticed as disciples now called to be apostles. Now they're being sent forth to proclaim the gospel. and, Do you remember, I don't mean to put you on the spot. Do you remember there were two, like, let's call it principal manifestations that accompanied the proclamation of the gospel. When they went out and they preached the good news of the kingdom, there were references to two things that also happened with the proclamation of the gospel. Do you remember one of them or both of them?
0: Uh, Yeah, both of them. You do? One, uh, demons will be cast out and the other, illnesses will be healed.
1: Yeah. Okay. So. I, I want to explore those two with you in part because the uh, the reality of let's let's start with the first one the demonic it, there's spiritual warfare mm-hmm. right and I think that there's a way in which when we consider the reality of uh evil it tends to be depersonalized like it's just something bad and we have a bad will and so we do bad stuff
0: mm-hmm.
1: but we can be missing out on the fact that there are these uh, evil influences that are personal. The the realm of the, I I, I tend to use the phrase, the realm of the demonic, because I don't even like to focus just on the devil or Satan, because it makes it sort of like there's one evil spirit who's somehow everywhere going after everybody Mm -hmm. instead of the idea that there's a realm of the demonic and there are demons that are uh, going after us. So uh, let's just start with that. Um, As a priest, you are uh, regularly ministering to people and bringing them the gospel in a variety of ways. Do you, how often would you say that you have a sense of encountering the realm of the demonic in your own work?
0: Um, Well, I'm not, um, Always uh, cognizant of it, I suppose. It's not like um some kind of extraordinary preternatural action or something is manifesting itself um, you know, all around me. If it is, I'm not really noticing it. So um, but nonetheless, you know, as I particularly as I celebrate the sacraments for folks, you know, hearing confessions, especially when I when I can see easily that there's a, a deep-seated sense of peace and with it kind of relief and joy that This person has been brought back to the fold then something clearly is happening there and beyond i think beyond the emotional um it's not like it's not like our experiences in confession are are hollywood emotional they're not they're pretty pretty um you know pretty mundane as as far as just the kind of the drama goes but that doesn't that's not to um dismiss the the deeper spirituality so you can palpably see it i can't anyway the the renewal of peace in that person's heart, because you know they they are sensing in some level uh, their return to the fold, and um, and that's and that's an expulsion of uh, whatever uh, presence of evil and the demonic uh, may have been there because of their sin that is now absolved. Yeah, that's where I see it most clearly, I think.
1: So a lot of folks listening, right? They they're thinking, well, I'm not really being sent out to proclaim the gospel. I don't have that as a job, and that's not my mission. I, I'm just kind of living my own life. Mm-hmm. And let's focus a little bit on this idea of fulfilling the duties of your state in life. That's a sort of a traditional way of talking about the path of sanctity, the path of growing in holiness for most people, for yeah. most of the laity, is just do what God has planted you here on earth to do. So when if I were to say to you, can you identify one or two or three like moments or places where um the 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 majority of folks who are listening, like the laity, um might come into contact with, let's call it a spiritual attack, Mm -hmm. that it's more than just they're having a bad day Mm -hmm. or lunch didn't sit right with them, right? But that there's actually a force coming against them or their loved ones, their spouse, their children, their grandchildren, uh, in a way that is attempting to overthrow or undermine the work of God.
0: Yeah. Um, And a lot of folks, uh, one thing I can think of is as, as they get if they're, if they're taking prayer and discernment seriously, so they're praying to God, what should I do about this or that situation? They're getting a clearer sense of what is God's answer. And then, so they're going to follow through the closer they get to accomplishing whatever that is. It could be a, a, a simple thing. It doesn't have to be this, like discerning a vocation. Um, but the closer they get to doing that, all of a sudden, you know, things are happening. Um, you know, an example of this is, um, I, uh, I brought my my school principal, one of my uh, 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 one of my parishioners, uh, Stephen uh, Stephen Hart, to seek with me the focus conference back in Jan- uh, the first part of January, and and he had perceived as we were getting closer, like he'd already discerned, yes, I need to go. This is going to be good for me and the people in my lives who I can have an influence over and, and lead in the spiritual life. As he's getting closer to going to seek, you know, things are happening at home. The dishwasher goes out and. And, uh, you know, the the kid gets sick, you know, when they were just sick. I mean, these little things, but just the the coincidence, quote unquote, of all these things happening together is trying to derail him from going to tempt him to think, well, I clearly can't go. The house is falling apart, you know, to tempt him to, to, you know, to dissuade him from doing this thing that he had already discerned he needs to do. So things like that, not to say that every like, you know, light bulb that goes out is Satan trying to tell you not to do it, but he's just, you know picking up that all of these things kind of combined as a package that don't normally happen as a package unit um, was maybe something beyond the normal that's trying to dissuade them. So that's one, one thing.
1: Yeah. I, I would call it the uh, let's call it the existential experience of weirdness. Yes. Like right? This is just weird that this is happening like this.
0: Yeah. That's a great way to put it.
1: So I uh, having given a bunch of talks over the course of many, many years, there was one talk in particular that. When I would make that presentation in the church, I would get the most reports from people about the kind of weirdness that would come against them and uh, attempt to undermine or overthrow their attempt to make it to the church. There's just like, I can't believe all these things that happened. That was these obstacles that just popped up. Mm -hmm. And uh, do you know what the talk was on? What? It was on confession. Uh huh. Yeah, so I they'd be bringing me to give my talk on my book, Confession: Five Sentences That Will Heal Your Life, and and the crazy thing was, um, at the end of the the talk, we would uh, we would go into confessions, and so we'd have a number of there'd be a number of priests there ready to hear confessions from folks who were coming out to hear this talk, and and that was sort of the the hook. The hook was, you may have come into the talk like typically in in your own experience as a Catholic running from confession, by the end of this talk, you're going to run to confession. Mm -hmm. Right. Uh, And I can remember a time when I, I gave the talk in the hall and then we went over to the church to go in, to go to the confessionals. And the guy, there was one guy who said to me, literally between the end of the talk and him walking across the street to the church, he had all of these harassing thoughts Telling him he didn't need to go, just leave now. Get in the car, go. And I had said to, I had said to the crowd, I had said to them, expect it. Mm-hmm. Something's going to happen between now and when you get into that confessional. And he just was laughing because after all was said and done, he let me know that this had precisely had happened. It was just this inner stuff that was stirring mm-hmm. that had no connection to. Well, this is normally living inside of me. This is a normal thought pattern I have. It was intensified. It had this weird spin on it. It had this sense of resistance, the more that he was trying to draw close to God. Okay, so let's take that 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 like that stream of experience. How often would you find in your working with married couples and in parenting issues that the call for introducing God's mercy reconciliation and the call to forgive or be forgiven can have a demonic blockage that will hold back a family from from getting right from from coming to peace to getting to peace
0: mm-hmm. well one uh, form that that I feel I feel like that that can take and has taken as I talk to families is well if we start to try to change the family culture it's going to cause uh, consternation and disruption. And, you know, it, shouldn't, shouldn't this be a, a home, uh, you know, in a culture of of peace and things are, things are, are fine. And, um, and so there's that uh, temptation, that resistance to strive for something more because things are good enough. And and why upset the apple cart kind of a thing. So, uh, you know, a father of a family, I'd say, okay, we need, as a family, need to start going to confession regularly. So here's our, here's our plan for like first Fridays or whatever. And, you know, previous to that moment, that was not a family thing. So now the family culture is, you know, from the spiritual headed household is being is being changed in just a a really a small way, a monthly thing. But what kind of resistance will come up because of that? And and, um, you know, not necessarily in and of itself demonic, but but prompted by these temptations to just kind of stay in this comfortable rut because things are good enough. Why upset? Why upset the status quo? I suspect that's one way that 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 manifests pretty commonly. And so families will just, yeah, this is good enough. And, uh, you know, why, why change, I guess. And yeah. if they try to change, it gets hard. So then, okay, we got a good pattern going. Maybe the first two months after we make this as a family, this decision. And then, well, we kind of slip back because we missed the third month. And just like that, we're back in the old way it is. Yeah,
1: I would say that this is where the gift of and the grace of humility comes in, mm. Uh, it seems to me that one of the demonic tactics is to tap into pride. Yeah. So last night I was coaching my daughter's basketball team, the Chesterton Academy of Notre Dame. Nice. Let's go. <laughs> and we were playing against a far better team on their home court on senior night. Uh-huh. Let's just say that the refs were slightly in the favor of the other team. So it appeared to me <laughs> now, of course I'm the coach of my team, but, it just seemed that way. Yeah. Okay. So I just peacefully accepted it without any consternation or expression. No, that's not true. That is <laughs> not what I did at all. So I got pretty intense and I was chirping away at those refs until I got shut down. Right. The one of the refs said to me, that's enough coach. He kind of barked at me. That's enough coach. And I did sat down. technical? I did not. Oh, that's I good. did not. That was uh, a warning. I know. I that was a warning and I you weren't uh you weren't here when I on one program I did get my first technical ever as a coach, but it wasn't even really deserved. Uh, that was the crazy thing was that the, the the ref on the other side of the court, like I said, "Come on, that was a foul." And he he was like 30 40 feet away from me, way over on the other side of the court. He called the technical on me and there was a ref right next to me. And I said to the ref, I said, "Did he just call out technical on me?" He said, "Yeah." I said, well, "What did I do?" And He said, "I don't know. I didn't call it." <laughs> I'm like, "Can you go talk to the guy?" Anyways, that was my first, so first and only ever technical. Anyways, okay, this is all leading to humility. So at the end of the game, I went up to the three refs and I asked for forgiveness. I didn't just say, um, "You know, hey, I, 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 I did, you know, I was overboard," or "Hey." you know, sorry about that. Or I apologize. Right. No, I said, I'm sorry. I was too intense. Please forgive me. I won't do it again. Right. The, 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 the actual act of asking for forgiveness isn't just, Hey, I kind of blew my stack. I hope you understand, you know, nothing personal. No, it was, I did it. And I am Sorry. And I'm asking you to forgive me. And I won't do this again. I'll, I'll make up for it. I didn't, there was nothing to make. I didn't have a pe- penance. There was no right. penance to do there. But the penance was just a- asking them for forgiveness. And then um, I, I'm not going to do that again. And they were very gracious. They were very gracious. They said, You're just competitive and don't sweat it. Not a problem. Right. They didn't say, I, for- I forgive you. Right. They didn't know how to engage in that process of actually asking for forgiveness which was unfortunate but um you know they did do that but i had to be willing to humble myself so father we're up against a break right now when we come back i'll let you talk about humility as a beautiful antidote that can overcome demonic attacks through pride back in a minute with more of the program Welcome back to the Dr. Tom Curran Show. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis. He is with me today on this Monday edition. Father, talking about humility. Yeah. All right. So, first of all, I want to. I'm pretty proud of my act of humility. Okay. <laughs> on that basketball court, to actually go seek them out and ask.
0: <laughs> I'm pretty proud of that. All right. That's like a holy pride, I suppose. Is
1: that? Can, can I be proud? Can I be proud of my humility? Right. That's kind of a joke, but <laughs> it. it I, I say that with the sense of, it's not easy to do that but I felt convicted that I needed to do that. It was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. And therefore I had to do it, right? There's that interior must. So we're talking about demonic attacks against the family and how the the proclamation of the gospel should drive out demons. But to drive out demons, we need to be able to access the power of God within us and not fall prey to their subtle, clever temptations. Mm -hmm. And I think pride for guys can be one of the biggest temptations to hold us back from doing what you were saying well it's awkward it's foreign to us we haven't done that before we don't want to tip over the apple cart how about the power of humility to help win the battle against the demonic
0: i think it's absolutely crucial as, as you say especially maybe for for guys you know pride being a a, a blockage for us um, because there's just something about our makeup that, that says I, I can with just enough uh, gumption and enough, uh, uh, you know, strength and willpower. I can lift myself up by my bootstraps. Whereas humility says, I can't, you can, so please do, you know, that's our simple prayer to the Lord in our humility that I can't do this, but you can Lord. And so please do. And um, I like that. Yeah. Did you, well, did you make that up? No, I stole it from father John Ricardo. <laughs> I wish I could be uh make things up like that on the, on the spot more often, but yeah, I thought that, that little prayer that he said on in one of his podcast episodes just really stuck with me. It's a simple six-word prayer: "I can't, you can, please do." And um, and that's a prayer of humility, a prayer of helplessness. You know, I've I, I've reached my limit, but with God, all things are possible. But until we get to that point, then um, then we're just even more susceptible because um, you know humility is. I think some people misunderstand humility as. That's admitting my weakness. And therefore, if I do that, then Satan and his minions will just trample me all the more. I've got to keep up that wall of defense. If I let that down, um, I'm even easier prey. Uh, And that's the paradox is that actually when we do that, we're letting the Lord step forward in front of us to be our defense. And so um, but, you know, until we can do that, you know, humility doesn't say to Satan, you know, run amok. It's saying to Lord you Know you take this, I can't, I'm going to bed, you know, kind of a thing, and so, um, um, anyway, it's kind of like Second Corinthians 12, where it's uh,
1: Paul has the you know, the he's ecstatically brought up into the, the seventh earth. heaven, yeah. and then he talks about the thorn in the flesh, yeah, an angel of Satan to beat him, yeah, right, so that he wouldn't become inflated, yeah. and then what does the Lord
0: say, right? Yeah, he says, My, you know, he didn't remove that thorn from the flesh, he he said, "My grace is sufficient for you. My power is made known in your weakness." And so, in that weakness, you know, and how interesting, you know, we see that repeatedly over and over again through the lives of the saints. It's the the weakest and the you know the seemingly most insignificant people who who the you know who God uses to to make to make the divine uh, power um, extraordinarily powerful and extraordinarily uh, uh, revealed indeed. And um, so, yeah, we didn't just see that in St. Paul, we said in all the saints, but, and we can see that in ourselves too. If I just like, let go and let God, as they say in Alcoholics Anonymous, then all kinds of great things can happen if we would just dare to try it. Yeah. Well, and
1: it's, do we really believe the word of God? Do we, do we accept as true for us what it says in Second Corinthians 12 about it's in my powerlessness that God's power is made known? His power is at work. And And so St. Paul ends up saying, I rejoice in my weakness. I rejoice in my sufferings. I rejoice in those battles that I face because when I'm powerless, you know, that's when I'm strong. Mm -hmm. I don't think we want to embrace that. I think we want to say when I'm comfortable, then I'm strong. When life is going really well, then I'm strong. When life is easy and very satisfying, then I'm really strong. Isn't that the, well, that's when we're going to be probably most vulnerable to the devil.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's um, I think that's right. And you know, that made me think of a, of a metaphor. I don't know how accurate this is a a chemist or a metallurgist would know this, but I, I'd heard somewhere, read somewhere that, that pure gold, if it's pure gold, it's extraordinarily difficult to get it to solidify because it needs to grab onto something that isn't part of it. And then it'll start to coalesce into, into a solid. And I think that's definitely true with like, like water in a frozen state. And, you know, if it's just still, it might still be liquid because it had not touched something to make it suddenly turn to ice. So, but water is very malleable. And so you can just, uh, you know, do with it what you will. But if there's that slight bit of imperfection, then you are strong, then you solidify. And that slight imperfection is a thorn in our side. And when we acknowledge that and ask the Lord to make that strong where we're weak, then the rest of us can be made strong. The rest of us can be made solid because we've acknowledged that weakness and we've invited God into that weakness to, to make it strong and to make us strong through it. I don't know how good of a metaphor that is, but I'm sticking with it. <laughs>
1: nice. Well, let's, let's take a look at that and let's apply it to actual life situations, right? There, I could probably name off, you know, on the tip of my, you know, on the tip of my fingers, five different situations, right? a kid struggling with school, a husband struggling with finances or with some addictive tendency, right? Whether it's alcohol, gambling, drinking, I mean, uh, the internet, pornography, right? All these different, these places that are points of weakness, that points of trouble. And what do we do about them? Instead of hiding, instead of just saying, I'm powerless in the face of this. And therefore I should just give into it. Realize that, that those are the entry points that the realm of the demonic wants to get in, but God will use to get in to say, I've got power here for you. Yeah. I've got good news for you. I've got a kingdom mm-hmm. that can come in here and and bring life out of death. Mm-hmm. I, I think that one of the greatest sadnesses is that we settle for less in allowing the the gospel, the the kingdom of God, Jesus Christ. And his life come alive in us more fully. We talked a bit about that last week.
0: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And part of what that allows us to do is to recognize that we're not in this alone. God is with us, and therefore we can be una- joyful and unafraid. And for me, how this looks is that I see that I have uh allies and I have uh, you know, prayer warriors and other people can help me be strong in amongst the prisoners or my brother priests or something like that. So maybe I feel like a weak you know name your area of life if i admit that weakness to the lord in prayer and maybe the lord will reveal to me well turn to this person because this person's actually skilled in that area and now the partnership between the two of us because we're 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 brought together for whatever reason you know through the lord now we can be made strong i'm thinking like as a pastor you know i think some people think i must be some kind of financial genius because i have an mba well I'll let it be known to Just all say the yes. ways. Just say, yeah. well,
1: well, you know, I humbly acknowledge <laughs> yeah, that.
0: I should tell people, I said, well, I tell people all the time, my MBA was with a focus in marketing. So I spend the money. I don't safeguard the money. You got to spend money to make money. That's my attitude. So no, I'm not a financial genius, but in my humility, I recognize that. And so I've got to identify those parishioners who are um, knowledgeable about finance and bring them onto the finance council and, um, you know, solicit their, their insights uh, regarding financial matters. And then that partnership helps make the whole parish strong. Whereas I've just in my pride and I say, no, I'll figure this out. Who knows in a month we're in financial ruin. Um, and so not just me, but the whole parish under my cares in, in, in financial straits, because I, in my pride, I thought I could just do it on my own. So that's just one example in in my life as a priest where I've got to, in my humility, recognize where I'm weak and the Lord will show me, okay, you are weak in that. That's good humility. And so guides me, you know, the Lord guides me to where I can be strengthened in that through other people.
1: So Father, I I got to affirm you here for a gift, a gift that you have, which I'm very impressed at, Carrie and I are really impressed, is your ability to recruit great staff. Oh, (laughs) that is, that's really impressive, but it's, it's not a guarantee that a pastor knows how to assess talent, find talent, go recruit that talent, and then be able to hire that talent and keep that talent on board. Yeah. So and then utilize that uh, that talent. It's people who are gifted, right? The gifted folks who uh, are on your staff. I say that in part because uh, last this past week was Catholic Schools Week, yeah. and you had your principal, your new principal, uh, share a bit. Yeah. And uh, Carrie and I were just blown away. Yeah. The, the guy knows how to talk about Jesus. He does. Really impressive. Yeah. So just to say, um, last week was Catholic Schools Week. Uh what were what were some of the highlights that were for you like hey here's what I want to do to highlight the gift of catholic schools.
0: Well um yeah I agree you know Stephen gave a great presentation and then bringing in those uh the the students that that um you know did well in their their catholic schools essays but part of what helped make that happen and why and one blessing of catholic schools week for us this year is that it gave him and me and the students with us another chance to, sh- to continue to communicate the vision, the overarching vision of, of really the, the parish, the school and the parish combined, uh, to, to everyone from that from that central pulpit. And, and he said it very well. The, the purpose of Catholic schools is to make saints who then go and make more saints. We want to make Christians of these people and make disciples of these people. And what does a disciple do? At the end of the day, the disciple needs to bring others to Jesus and let the Lord work on them. And now we've got additional partners in mission to keep proclaiming the gospel, keep making disciples of all nations. That's the gospel mandate. That's the last words to us that Jesus gave before he ascended into heaven. And so um, that was a key thing that uh, that I was looking for when we were interviewing for a principal. But really all the staff, this is the vision. It's not mine. It's God's. And so can we buy in on this and and be united in this vision? Uh, and then the rest of it, I c- we can learn how to administrate a school. We can learn these things, but you got to have a clarity about what the vision is. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. So
1: that's, that's a very catalytic of you. So I use that word very intentionally Yeah, <laughs> uh, that there are certain kinds of CEOs. Yeah. Have you heard me share this before? Mm-hmm. So that they're, they're catalysts, organizers, and operators. Okay. Right. So catalyst could be like the evangelist. Uh-huh the one who says, come on, let's go. Here's where we're headed. Come on, let's go take the hill. Right, Very courageous, very prophetic. So the prophet evangelist. Yeah. Then you get the organizer that comes in and says, okay, I got the vision, but we're going to need to set up these structures, these processes. We're going to get these people in place. Here's how much it's going to cost. Here's how long it's going to take. Here's the path that we need to follow. Hmm. Right. Then you get the operators. The operators are those CEOs who manage by walking around. So Okay, we have our vision, we have our structures, we have our people, and then now let's go to the people and say, "Do you have what you need? Do you have yeah. what you need?" So there's this sort of pastor shepherd, yeah, right. So you have administrator, you've got the pastor shepherd, and you've got that visionary catalyst. Yeah, and you're talking like the visionary catalyst. Yeah. That that's you when you were talking about the vision of having fifty thousand parishioners yeah. at St. Mary. I just say that out loud. I mean, I want you to just like, proclaim it. Like yeah. this is this is where we can go, people. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, what you're kind of describing there is, um, I don't know if you know who Simon Sinek is. He's not a Catholic evangelist or anything. I don't even think he's a believer, but gave this very popular, people still look up this TED talk on, and he says, it's all about the why. And he's talking about technological innovation, but the takeaway for me and for, for us in how to communicate all this is, is it begins with the why it's the golden circle, as he calls it. So it starts with the why that's the vision. Then you need your organizers okay, how are we going to implement the vision? We're going to develop the strategies and then the operators. Okay. We've got the why and the how, what specifically do you need to do on a tactical footwork to make these things happen? And I'm, I don't, I don't think that I have the skill set for all three of those departments, but if I know that I'm strong here, I need to, and, and we need the whole kit and caboodle. I need to surround myself with people that can do these other things and then we can move forward. Yeah.
1: I, I love that. Uh, You're you're flexing now. (laughs) Start with why. That's his book on that. And it's a very popular talk. You're right. So that idea of being able to name your passionate purpose and what makes you distinctively valuable and different uh, in what you're doing. Right. So you do that well. So I think that that can be one of the challenges that we actually face in Catholic leadership, because the things that make someone a good candidate to be a bishop, it's not that they're catalytic and, and they're entrepreneurial and innovative and they're taking the hill. No, they're typically really good at organizing and operating. Right. And so that it's too risky to put the innovator catalyst out front. The visionary. That's that's really a risky thing because yeah. they're going to rock the boat and get out of line. Right. So. <laughs> so, Father, basically, I'm saying you're not going to be a bishop. Well, so you're, that's
0: you're- good news. <laughs> you're talking about the good news in the gospel. That's good news to me. <laughs> yeah,
1: actually, you'll be you. You also are very attentive to the the organizing details and and the operation of things. So, you just might end up being a bishop. So <laughs> that's not maybe, maybe the Lord's gonna maybe the Lord's gonna sneak one past you there, oh, and Lord. and or sneak one past the 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 little what's what's that little list called? It's not the turnout, whatever that little list of the. Oh, uh, what They're looking for. Yeah. yeah. No, no. They have that list of three bishops, you know, the three candidates, oh, the three
0: final candidates. Yeah. yeah. Choose one. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't know if people actually realize what that is. Can you tell folks? Uh
0: I don't know what the word is, but yeah, the whole vetting process for potential candidates for a bishop, as I understand it, I've, I've never been instructed in this, but you know, any bishop anywhere can promote any priest to be a potential candidate. And then the, that bishop starts the vetting process, I suppose. And I don't know what they're looking for, but then the metropolitan. So Spokane a diocese, our metropolitan the archbishop of Seattle will continue it and then has that kind of direct line of communication, I suppose, with the nuncio, who's like the papal ambassador to a particular country. And somehow they continue the vetting process, build up the profile. And and uh, and if there's someone who can make it to a certain point, now they're starting to see, okay, what are the needs of the various dioceses? Can this guy be matched with these needs? But at the end, of, and it gets kicked up to Rome and and then the congregation kicked up to Rome. I like up that. To Rome, yeah. <laughs> and then the uh, prefect, I guess, of the Dicastery bishops will, you know, the final vetting okay, this this diocese needs an ordinary. Here are the three candidates, you know, Pope, choose one. <laughs> mm-hmm. And maybe they'll like, you know, here's options B or C, but we're going to lean toward A. So we'll just push that one a little bit forward.
1: <laughs> yeah. And I yeah. think it, they do more of the, they make the recommendation to the Pope. Yeah. You know, he has a final say, obviously. Yeah, yeah. So. All right, when we come back, I, I want to pick up on that theme and we'll continue with Father Lewis. Hey, this is Dr. Tom Carran, the host of Sound Insight, but also a realtor serving wonderful folks like you in the state of Washington and in Idaho. I've had the privilege and pleasure of helping dozens of families in the last two and a half years discern and find a, a strategy, a path and a plan to help their families find a whole new life in eastern Washington and northern Idaho. If I could be of service to you in that, I would love to. Please reach out, drtomcurran.com, drtomcurran.com. Welcome back to the program. Uh, this is Dr. Tom Curran. I'm with Father Jeff Lewis. So, Father Lewis, have you ever talked to a bishop about getting the phone call?
0: Actually, I have. I was, um, I, so our parish, we, you know, we've uh, got this uh, kind of formalized partnership with Focus Missionaries and one of the things that's, that's involved is um, in the summers, last five or summers or so, uh, they've kind of had a, a half a week of uh, talks and prayer and workshop for priests. And so um, I was there in Denver for this, uh, I think this was three summers ago. And while we were there, um, the former auxiliary of Seattle, Bishop Muggenberg, was there as well to participate in all this. And uh, we noticed they kept on getting up and taking a phone call. And I didn't well, none of us really thought anything of it because he's a bishop. He's probably getting hounded by his archbishop to take care of business or whatever. But well, he would tell us later he was that those were all phone calls with Annuncio. He was being asked during that week to take Reno as his diocese and then and then going from there. So he would tell us that later. So yeah, I was asking him about that. Like, what was that like? He said, Well, it was kind of awkward because I couldn't tell y'all what was going on, but y'all clearly saw me getting up to take all these phone calls. So yeah, it was uh, kind of amusing to him that, that the timing of all that while he was there with us. <laughs> I love that. I've had a chance to talk to a few bishops
1: about the phone call, mm-hmm. right? It comes in from the the nuncio and, you know, I'm here calling you about and mm-hmm. will you say yes to this? Yeah. I, I've never met someone who said no. Yeah. But I guess if they did say no, they probably you wouldn't even know how to ask them the like question, that. right? Yeah. Um. But the... If if you had to guess, what was the thing that made them feel the most? Maybe the word is unworthy or overwhelmed, or this sense of, my goodness, what have I been asked Mm. to enter into here? Mm -hmm. What can you can you guess what would be that aspect of being a bishop that was the most like made them stand in awe? Now hmm. this is this is a very small sample size here. Yeah, yeah. Um I'm gonna, i it's connected know. to one of the titles that they have.
0: Oh, okay. Um no, I, I don't have a guess. Successor I, of the apostles. Oh, yeah. Can okay. you imagine? That'd be yeah. You put yourself in the same category as, you know, Saint Peter or yeah, Saint Todd, Saint you know, Andrew, Saint John. Yeah, that'd be overwhelming. Isn't that something? <laughs> yeah. Right? Because you could say, oh, it's oh no, I've got a
1: well, if I'm an auxiliary, right, I'm now helping a bishop, hmm. or if I'm in charge of a diocese, what am I gonna do? Because hmm. I've never had that level of responsibility before. But it was more the interior reality. Oh wow! That says I'm a successor to the apostles. Yeah. Oh my goodness! What what has happened? What <laughs> what have I done? <laughs> right? And and because and, it's not only the apostles part of it. I'm guessing. Hmm. Right. Yeah. Am I going to be Judas? (laughs) Right. Right. Am I, am I going to be Peter? Am I going to betray like that? Talk about a high bar right there. Am I going to be a martyr? Right. But then it's look at all the other bishops Mm -hmm. because I'm not just jumping from the apostle all the way to today. Mm -hmm. There's 2000 years of bishops that are part of the same lineage. It's like the family tree of bishops. Oh, you know,
0: wow. Yeah. Dang. Yeah. yeah, that'd be uh that'd be overwhelming I can imagine. <laughs> so Hopefully all I can do is imagine, not experience yeah. it.
1: <laughs> so honestly, you wouldn't like I'm guessing, so this might sound um, odd. So when I first experienced my awakening of faith as mm-hmm. an 18-year-old, I one of the biggest things that started to stir in me was this desire to evangelize, to mm-hmm. share the gospel. And one form of that was uh, explaining people's questions and removing their objections. So apologetics. So I had a very apologetic approach in my evangelistic efforts. Like I had no fear. Let's go bring it on. And I used to call into a Christian radio network that was local in Boston. And so they had these local shows and some of them were call in shows and there was one show in particular that was anti-Catholic. Oh, wow. And these, in Boston, so many Catholics, right? Yeah, and
0: that's pretty and
1: bold. So these ladies would call, these older ladies would call and say, I just, but I was told this and I was told that. And they're saying, well, it's not in the Bible. And here's the answer. And they is just hold on. And we're going to connect you with somebody to get you plugged into a good Christian church. Yeah. And I got so mad at them. I would call. And stump the pastor on the air. He used to get ripping mad at me. <laughs> I was known. My voice was known. Anyways, I felt back then a deep inner desire to be on the radio. <laughs> yeah, that was, that was in the that was in the early eighties. Mm-hmm. And lo and behold, twenty years and and a desire to speak, to preach, to teach,
0: mm-hmm.
1: and it was there. It was it was sort of latent inside of me and. It ended up being my my entire adult life, right? Yeah. For 20 years now, being on the radio and for 35 years, preaching the gospel. Yeah. So there's something that can go all the way back. Okay, so come on now, Father. Uh-oh. Are you telling me that as you kind of search back through inside this desire, there must have been, What was there any kind of desire in you as a priest to exercise like leadership at a parish as big as St. Mary's? Did you ever see, envision yourself mastering a parish as large and complicated and flourishing as St Mary.
0: I did actually in fact uh, I you know even in seminary it was you know just kind of imagining the the makeup of our diocese which I know so well and and the different varieties of uh, pastoral assignments that could be had and and I I um I'd come to the you know come to a desire I guess that there there are four particular assignments I would love to have at some point my pastoral priestly career for the for the diocese of spokane pastor of a small country parish because i like the country so i'd like to be out there with the salt to the earth types you can check that box yes and i did that for five years and then and then pastor of a large parish with a school so i've got that going at one point i'd like to you know i I've thought i still think i would like this um be the uh the the chaplain at the newman center at washington state and work with the college kids and so on and then at some point to uh, maybe be the vocations director and do seminary work. So here I am in, you know, in 10 years of priesthood, uh, you know, well now I'm in my 12th year, but you know, I came to St. Mary within my first 10 years of priesthood and already had two of those four checked out. So I'm making good progress. Nice.
1: Well, <laughs> I, I feel like you should be the honorary uh, vocation director. Well, I, I think you're probably the them. best friend to <laughs> father Ratuiste. Yeah. Uh, with all of the the vocations and the work of sowing seeds of vocations that you do. It's really quite impressive.
0: Yeah. Well, thank you. Yeah. I, I definitely work closely with him. So it feels like, you know, half of that box is halfway checked already. So how yeah.
1: many seminarians do we have in across the eight years is, or even with the proper year. do you, do you know how many seminarians we have going mm-hmm. from the core Christie program through minor seminary to major seminary Yeah,
0: currently in Spokane? Yeah. We have, I think we have tens currently in formation at some level this year. Mm-hmm. But uh yeah, I was talking with Father Retwiste um not that long ago, just before Christmas, and and already in in half a year, half of the like the calendar, uh school year, excuse me, um, he's he's got I think he's had conversations with like eight different guys and like another five scheduled for after new year. The previous year he had a total in one year of four such conversations. And this year, looking wow. like thirteen or fourteen. Huh. And um, so really good potential candidates that he's been visiting all across the diocese. So he's been on the road a lot. So what does what he, does he
1: attribute it to anything in particular? Is it a, like the fruit of a particular program? Is it this Eucharistic revival year? Is it the, yeah. the cultural anti-Catholic pressures, like pushing people to say, young men to say, I've got to follow Christ yeah. and, 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 as
0: a priest? and Probably a number of all those factors, including like the the overall diocesan culture of just making discernment and vocations part of the family conversation. Um, which I think is the greatest fruit, for example, of our Kovatis days camp. The the days camp produces, I think, if I look back at it, an average one seminarian per year. And um, how many of those have gone to be priests? You know, one or two, I think. Um, so that's pretty good. But more importantly, I think, is that these guys go home and the parents are asking them, how was camp? And they're praying and they're talking with them. And so the culture of just, it's normative to discern and to think about the seminary is more of a more of a thing. And um, so that's a factor as well. But a lot of it too, our previous vocation director, Father Dan Barnett, who's still the rector of the seminary, and then Father Kyle Retwisted, they both saw the importance of making sure that they have a a close, strong partnership with the parish pastors. Because a vocation director can come in and preach a homily of vocations once a year at a parish if he's invited. But the pastor has the regular weekly, even daily engagement with those same kids. So how can the vocation director uh, equip that pastor and partner with that pastor to make this a normative thing at the parish, and that's been a tremendous uh, effect as well. Yeah, I suspect.
1: What do you think holds back pastors from like investing more in that work? I've got like several yeah. ideas, but I want to hear from you.
0: Yeah, um, I, I, I really don't know. It's confusing to me. I suspect with a lot of actually, I've heard this from some of our older pastors or older priests. Uh, including our bishop emeritus uh, bishop Skilstad. i mean those guys would say well i just had a sense i knew that i was called to the priesthood from like age 12 or whatever great you know you had that was a different era there's way fewer worldly distractions you didn't have the internet some of these guys didn't have the tv back then so you didn't have these distractions there needs to be a little oomph but but because they were never they never needed that themselves they perceived and they didn't therefore perceived that there was a need for for the next generation when they were the priests. Um, but among some of the um, uh, my generation of priests, if there's some guys out there who aren't actively promoting vocations, I don't know what their reasons were.
1: So do you consider the age we're living in, you talked about it as an age of distractions that might uh, make young people, young men, not even consider, like the priest is not even on their radar screen. Mm-hmm. But the, let's call it the content of today's culture coming through screens and other uh, places that are anti-Catholic, like yeah. overtly attacking the faith, Christ, God, the Catholic Church. Have you found that that, uh, like, let's call it the the tactic, the strategy of the devil to undermine the church is actually going to, uh, uh, like. Uh, have the opposite effect that it, it will actually draw more bold, courageous young men to say, that's all you got. Are you kidding me? Mm-hmm. I'm in and I'm all in. Yeah.
0: I think that that tactic of the of, of the devil of Satan will, will backfire, but I don't, I don't think it'll take the form that ba- I don't think that backfire will take the form of more vocations to the priesthood. Um, because I think there'll be some guys. In fact, I've talked to these guys that they see this as a call. Now more than ever, we need to have strong families because the family is being attacked. And I think that's a good and holy response, and that's absolutely true. But those guys that do discern the vocation to the priesthood as, as a response, we need stronger priests to, to speak against us, to fight against us. We might have fewer vocations come out because that backfire, but those few that we get, all of them are just going to be solid, solid guys. And it's um it's probably be very in keeping with that kind of that famous uh, prophecy of Pope, uh, former Pope Benedict Uh, you know, obviously, I think it was before he was even Pope. Um, But anyway, he had said, you know, in the coming years, the church will continue to get smaller. But then like nuclear fusion, it will explode, because more and more solid Catholics, they're the ones who remain, and we're going to find each other. And that will fuel us to just go out of the upper room and proclaim the gospel and set hearts on fire. I think that similar effect we will see that in uh, the vocation of the priesthood. And for that matter, the vocation of the religious life mm-hmm. amongst the women.
1: Well, I you mentioned Pope Benedict. I think of St. John Paul II. He has that famous address that he gave, or a, it was just sort of a, I don't know if it was part of a kind of a public lecture when he came to the U S as a Cardinal before uh, the conclave. Yeah. And he said, we're, we're entering the age of the final confrontation mm-hmm. between the church and Satan. Mm. And, uh, you know, since the beginning of the world and all of this, and that speaks about. I guess it's a prophetic vision. Yeah. And and you look at how he evangelized literally around the world and mm-hmm. pointed towards Christ and Jubilee and all of this. That there is a uh, a prophetic sense that says, look, in the end times, and, and whether or not this is the end of the world, it could be the end of our age. That's when the church passes through. The most severe trial mm. and the faith of many fall away. Yeah. And I I wonder if there's a soft trial that is severe that causes Catholics and Christians just to passively float away. Mm. And then when the hard trial comes, the, the, the direct assault and affronts to the faith happen. We are so soft that we don't respond. And then we just get bulldozed over. Yeah. So is that too strong? I mean, uh, I'm kind of building off of trying to interpret what John Paul II was saying.
0: No, in fact, um, it seems like that would be a, a pretty good pretty good tactic if you were if you were Satan. You know, it's it's like in boxing, you give a, a feint with your left if you're really a right, and they dodge the left and they go right into your right. So you give them a soft a soft toss of the left, and then they go and dodge, and they're going right into where it's going. You're going to get hard. And now you're here, totally knocked down. Um, so yeah, I, I I um I wonder if that is uh, how it's going to happen. And I, I I don't wonder if that's how it's going to happen. I wonder what what specifically that will look like. And um, you know, there's been talk for a while since I was ordained a priest that we just went through this sexual abuse crisis with the clergy, and the next great scandal that will pull people away from the church will be a financial one. Uh, you're going to re- hear more and more about priests or even bishops that are either financial uh, irresponsibility or just outright criminality. Well, and then you see, like there's priests that, that make the news because they were pilfering upwards of hundreds of thousands of dollars from various parishes. And, and there's that infamous trial of that uh, cardinal, I think it just wrapped up in Rome, who, who was caught to, with uh, other accomplices, I guess, these financial scandals uh, to the tune of millions of euros. And so maybe there's something to that. More and more people like, boy, the church can't be trusted with anything. They can't be trusted. Our kids. They can't be trusted with our money. So we're gonna we're gonna leave. You know. So maybe we're starting to see that next wave. That's so interesting. I hadn't. I've heard people
1: allude to that. That those two themes are often connected. Mm-hmm. Uh, the you know the the crisis, this the sexual abuse crisis and financial, but I hadn't heard it uh, talked about in in more let's call it separate buckets yeah. that completely separated from, not just associated with. Having a an exposure of financial crises could cause a further crisis of faith. Yeah. That's that's really interesting. I because yeah. I, I I did find it strange that oh in the last month or two I've noticed some news reports on this stuff, yeah. and uh, yeah maybe that is a a, a next wave. That I think that would be something that we haven't probably seen something like that for 500 years. Right, right. You know, and you think about what what was some of the let's call it the um uh facilitating causes of of luther not trying to reform but to break away yeah. Uh, yeah from the church and it was sort of financial political corruption
0: yeah yeah but you know just like you know the church came out of that i think stronger because what came out of that you had the council of trent you had the heroes of the catholic counter reformation um you know saint pius v uh, maybe being the lead of them but you get um hey john of you know, the side, cross john of the cross come and on the streets about lust and and air, all these guys and um and so the church has been purified through those fires of scandal and and um you know it's interesting you see those major crises in the life of the church about every 500 years mm-hmm. <laughs> at least i've read a couple articles and even a book or two on that and here we are 500 years after the Protestant reformation so it's it's about that time again <laughs> uh well father i i I, I want to say, that like in the big scheme of things, I want to live in
1: those times. Ah. I want to live in the times where there's a lot at stake, and it. I think one of the things that can happen is we get caught off guard a little bit, right? So the majority of my life, I've lived in a time where it there haven't there was not a world war, right? We went through some Persian Gulf and Afghanistan mm-hmm. and stuff like that, but there we didn't have World War One, World War Two. Now. Have um, sort of averted World War III, mm-hmm. but wait a minute—you know—now we have again a lot of um, military conflicts and things like that happening. But
0: and people taking sides, nations taking sides.
1: <laughs> yeah, but I want to say that we do live in an unprecedented level of a couple of things. One is division within our country, yeah. and a lack of let's call it integrity and authenticity in the mainstream media.
0: Yeah, yeah.
1: That feels that feels different. Mm-hmm. That feels really different, and it's almost as if it's exposing a, a battle that has been latent but not called out. Right. So th- that makes for let's call it interesting times. Yeah.
0: Well, in addition to the media, but there seems to be like a, a, a call it a trifecta of doom. Uh, Bishop speaks of this often. He 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 worries about you know we've got a, a fractured world, a divided church, and a troubled America. I think in, in previous years, at least in American history, you might've had one of those three or two of those three going on. But when have we had all three of those going on? And mm-hmm. he definitely perceives we have all three of those going on right now. This is not bode well. <laughs> uh, so, so, you know, what's, what's the response? The response is, I've said this knowledge, get right with God, go to confession, pray every day. You can't control the world. You can't control even the church. You can't control your parish even. You can have some influence, but How are you going to respond to crises? And the only answer is Jesus Christ. So how are you in your relationship with Jesus? Yeah.
1: I I call that the circle of concern. Yeah. My circle of concern just shrunk and shrunk and shrunk until it was down to, well, me and my wife and my own kids. And then if the circle expands beyond that, it's because I get that right. If I don't get that right, then I've got to shrink my circle of concern down until I get that right. So you're like, you're right. It's just, it starts with me. Then from there, it can go to my spouse, and then from there, it can go to my kids. But boy, that's a that 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 calls for a again. I, I call it a heroic. It takes a heroic effort just yeah. to live an ordinary
0: Christian life. It does,
1: yeah. So, all right, Father, we got thirty seconds left. So what do you want to uh, say to to our listeners to end the program today?
0: Well, we are sitting here. Uh, you're hearing this on February 5th, so we are eleven days, no, nine days, ten days from the beginning of Lent. Sorry, no Valentine's Day this year, y'all. Nope, just uh, instead of candies, give it up. And so let's make it a great Lent. We can start discerning now how we're going to make this the best Lent ever. So
1: I think that's brilliant that folks don't let Lent sneak up on you. And it's just too easy to do that. And so you you just heard it there. Now you have no excuse, brothers and sisters. (laughs) But Louis has just stripped that away from you. But there's so many good things to do in prayer, fasting, and almsgiving. And give some thought to it, some prayer to it. I know that's a theme I'll be talking about this week and leading up to Lent. So I hope and pray that that's something that you'll all benefit from. Father Lewis, thanks for being with me today. You're welcome. All right, God bless you all. Join me tomorrow for more of the Dr. Tom Curran Show.